if you're going through something tough, anybody can learn from what you're going through about what it means to be strong, to be resilient, to keep going and to love through heartbreak. And that I think is the narrative thread of the book. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. Shira Lankin Sheps has become a leader in the Anglo-Israeli Orthodox community as the founder of The Layers Project magazine, an online magazine that explores challenges and triumphs in the lives of Jewish women. I spoke with Shira about two years ago in episode 15 of this podcast, and it was a pleasure to speak to her again about her wonderful new book, which is being released in Israel today, June 1st, entitled Layers personal narratives of struggle, resilience, and growth from Jewish women. Before we get to the interview, let me remind you to please subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join and participate in The Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. Also go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. Just search for The Orthodox Conundrum, give it between zero and five stars, I hope five, and write a sentence or two. I'd also like to ask you to become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are available only to subscribers. We're adding new features to Patreon all the time, including, coming up very soon, AMA, Ask Me Anything. You'll also be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, halakhically committed, and honest orthodoxy. So make sure you sign up to Patreon right away. It's just a few bucks a month, and you can cancel at any time. We're looking forward to your joining our team on Jewish Coffee House. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to reach hundreds or even thousands of listeners? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffee House can help you start. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in a single day or, alternatively, record, relax, and let us do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work for you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let us help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. Shira Lankin-Sheps is a writer, photographer, and clinically trained therapist who's passionate about creating spaces for stories that need to be told and about changing the dialogue around stigmatized topics. She earned a BA in English Literature from Stern College and an MSW from the Silberman School of Social Work at Hunter College. She made Aliyah in 2018 and lives in Jerusalem with her husband and children. Shira Lankin-Sheps, thank you very much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. Before we get into anything specific, let me be honest about the book, Layers. This book is unique, and I'll tell you why. I did not tell you this before we went on the air. I'm telling you this as I'm telling our listeners. I'm lucky to have seven kids, and it's very unusual, if not impossible, to have a single book that everybody in the family wants to read. And quite literally, in the two weeks since we got the book, every single person in my family has staked a claim to their turn to read the book a little bit. That means everyone, my wife, my kids, me, and everyone has been enjoying it and getting a lot out of it. So that kind of book is quite unusual and obviously a testament to the great work you did. So thank you for the book and thank you for providing reading material, which everyone in our family has enjoyed and really been moved by. Thank you. I'm so excited to hear that. 
my it, God, I wish everyone could see my face right now. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's, um, and it's absolutely true. Let's start talking about the book. But before we get into the book specifically, I want to ask you about The Layers Project in general, your magazine and website. First yeah. of all, what is The Layers Project and why did you start it? Sure. So The Layers Project magazine is an online magazine for Jewish women where I explore what we call the challenges and triumphs of of life. Um, we talk about stigmatizing taboo topics. I interview and photograph women. We uh, publish essays and anonymous essays. And it's really a space where we kind of explore the nuanced insights into what it means to be living as a Jewish woman. Really what we're focusing on is the experience of emotions and feelings. And we're talking about stuff that doesn't usually get talked about. And in that way, um, it's kind of my my form of like social activism in our community. I see. Now, what about the book is different from what you do online? Is it the same thing or is there something different about what you wrote in the book Layers as opposed to what's online? So uh, the beauty of the book is that there are 31 brand new stories or 34 in total. Three of them were featured on the magazine, 31 brand new stories that no one has ever read before. So for people who are big fans of the layers project, or just in general, people who are interested in listening to stories, really compelling stories about resilience and struggle and growth. Um, that's what this is. Uh, it's not different in the sense that I publish profiles on the magazine. This, now these are profiles uh, being hosted in a book format. Um, the difference is that they're a little bit more in depth. They're longer. They're going to hit you harder. They're going to, they're going to pretty intense. You're, yeah. You're going to, but you're going to love these women and you're going to feel when you're finished at the end of the, of the story, you're going to feel like these are your friends. Or these are people that you want to speak to. These are people you want to connect with or that you are already connected with. So it's a really trans, it was really transformative for me to, to write it. And I've heard from readers that it's a pretty transformative experience reading it. When you say it was transformative for you to write it, I wanted to ask you about that specifically because you talk yeah. about this a little in the introduction, but I want to get some more detail about this. What is your role? What is the women's role? How much do they write? What do you do exactly? I know it's entirely in the women's voices specifically and mm -hmm. unique to each one, even to the point of the way you spell Hebrew words is unique. Each one, is, there's no set standard. It's based on how the person herself pronounces the words. What is your role? Are you writing these or are you editing them? What exactly happened? What's the process? Yeah. So basically I sit down with these women and I photograph them and then we, inter I interview them. I record them and we have a whole conversation and then I transcribe the conversation and then I edit it for clarity, for narrative thread, for chronology, stuff like that. Send it back to them. And every single word, every sentence, every paragraph is approved, is gone over literally every word. Every approved by whom? By the women themselves. By the women themselves. Yeah. So I think that the one of the, the best feedback that I've gotten from my friends, people who know me, is that the only place that they see me is in the introduction. Each chapter feels like somebody else. And that's the whole goal. Because when you're telling a personal narrative for the purpose of healing, the purpose of that is a reclamation of your personal narrative. It's about taking back the power, the control for yourself um, and for the story that you're putting out into the world about who you are, as opposed to having other people decide who you are. You're getting the opportunity to do that. And so voice is incredibly important and incredibly powerful. And I know the difference that one word can make in what you meant. And so it's really important to me that it's a really super collaborative process. So I wrote it, um, I edited it, but these aren't my words. They're not, they're theirs. 
And it's very interesting. You mentioned this as well in the introduction, and it's very clear in the stories themselves. There are things that are missing. There are details that, as a reader, I want to say, well, yeah. what about that? That that seems like something I'd like to find out more. And at times, the person doesn't provide that, but I assume that's part of the process of empowering them to tell the story the way they want to tell the story, the story as they see it, their own narrative. Yeah, 100%. And I think that, I, I think I say in the in the introduction is that if there's something not here, it's because you weren't meant to know it. And in general, in terms of personal sharing, we can't know everything. You can't know every detail of every story. And sometimes you don't deserve to know. You shouldn't know. It's not your business to know. Or it's just something that doesn't feel safe and appropriate to share. So as readers, we have to understand that we're not just, these stories are not just like, oh, someone's telling me a pretty story. This is a very intentional exercise in sharing a personal narrative for the purpose of catharsis, of healing for oneself, of healing for the person reading it, of validation of other people's experiences. It's really intentional. It's not just telling fairy tales. Yeah, I, I see that. That's very true. Cathartic seems to be the word. Yeah, these are real lives. And so, you know, like, even it, even it's so fascinating for me when people, I imagine down the line, uh, the whole time I imagine down the line, when people would come to me and would say, you know, I want to talk about this chapter. I want to get into the nitty gritty of this chapter. It's not literature in the sense that these are characters. These are real people. These are real lives. And so I think that it's really important to be cognizant of the choices that people are allowed to make that choice. You're never going to be owed every detail of every story. And so, yeah, there are going to be certain times where you're like, oh, I really I have at this burning question. There's just something that I want to know. Right. But it's usually intentional. You mentioned a moment ago that the first step in the process is taking the picture. And I wanted to ask you about the place that photographs play. And mm. the book is beautiful. The photographs are beautiful. It's very much, it's an atypical Jewish book. Let's just say that in the way that it is. <laughs> it's, it's quite unlike any other genre of literature in the Jewish world, as far as I can see. Can you tell me why it's important to integrate photography with the written word? Well, I think that in this form of storytelling, it's really important because what I was trying to establish is a sense of connection. And I think that there's a biochemical thing that happens when you make eye contact with somebody. Usually most of these photos, there's women looking directly at you, right at the lens. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, like on Instagram or social media, they like, like looking like far away and like looking into the distance. No, my photographs, they're looking straight at you because I want to kind of recapture the experience of sitting with somebody in a coffee shop or on your couch on Shabbos morning telling you a story. And when you see them in real life, when you see them in the flesh and you see their face, you see their eyes, their expression, you just learn so much more about them. And it's, it's, it, it makes it so more, so much more human, so much more realistic. And there's like, it's like a context to, to the story that you're reading. Um, and also sometimes I photograph these women holding photographs or holding different objects that are really integral to the story. And you learn so much about their families, about their history, about where they come from. So I think that it really enriches the experience tremendously. And um, obviously, obviously, you know, uh, taking pictures of Jewish women and putting them in media is a pretty, is a pretty, um, how would you even say Let, it? Let's say it's sadly radical. Yeah, it's like a radical concept, um, but I don't think it should be. And so instead of making a whole big stink about it, I'm just leading by example and doing it. And um, I'm, I'm thrilled to see these gorgeous women and their diversity and their, ah, gosh, their faces and their expressions and their, their energy is just a pops right off the page. And it really is a transformative thing. It really adds a lot to the book. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. 
you mentioned the 34 women whose stories are here. 31 of them are new. Is there kind of common denominator to all of the stories? And if so, what is it? What is the thing that brings these 34 profiles together into a single unit? Well, there are two things. The, the first thing is, is the, the issue of resilience and struggle and growth, because that's the thread that ties everything together. And that's kind of the, the point. The point is that you can have such vast, diverse experiences, um, but if you've created some sort of meaning making, if you've, if you've kind of gotten something from the experience that you can share with other people that they can learn from or 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 at least that you can express resilience that people can learn from it doesn't matter if you're someone who experiences infertility is a survivor of the holocaust or or has cancer if you're going through something tough anybody can learn from what you're going through about what it means to be strong to be resilient to keep going and to love through heartbreak and um, that I think is the is the the narrative thread of the book. The other part, the other really unifying un, um, unifying factor, is that this book is a is a love letter to the Holy Land. These are thirty four women who live in Israel. Most of them, I would say 92 percent of them are immigrants or refugees. That is an incredible, it's an incredible exploration of what it means to be living in this place, to feel like a sister, to feel like a stranger, to, to uh, experience how messy and chaotic and wonderful and hallowed and loved it is, and it, how it takes place in our lives and, and what it's like to be living here, not born a Sabra. And I think that's a tremendous um, narrative thread. It comes through, through all the way what it's like to be living in Israel, not having been born here, coming here because we chose to be here because this is our home. And that's amazing. You call it a story. It's a resilient struggle and growth. You talk about a love letter to the Holy Land. This is all amazing. Is there also a larger goal, meaning something you're trying to achieve? Obviously, what I mean by that is that simply telling stories is itself a very valid and important goal. Is there something else beyond that in terms of where you want people to be at the end, aside from identifying with them or associating with how wonderful it is and difficult and challenging and amazing to live in Israel? Is there something at the end you want people to walk away with that was different from what they walked in with? Yeah. Um, I guess if there are two, if there are two unifying points in the front, I think there are two unifying points at the end. Uh, in terms of Israel, I wanted to create a realistic experience. I don't believe that people are going to make Aliyah because we are, I don't think it does a service to anybody to come to Israel thinking that life is going to be Pollyannish here. I don't. I made Aliyah three years ago. I have not regretted it for one moment, not for one moment of three years. I've waited my whole life to do this, but it's not easy. It's not easy. And it's not supposed to be, uh, you know, the land of Israel is, is received through struggle, mm -hmm. just like everything else, else in life mm -hmm. and struggle um, can be born into growth. And um, we're a, a young nation and we're an ancient nation and we are, coming into our own here and it's a process it is a process and i don't think it serves anybody to pretend that it's not if you want to come here and be a part of this life it's going to be hard but it's also going to be magnificent and that's what you want people to take out of this yeah i want people to know that this is real life you know like i don't think it serves anyone to pretend that it's not mm -hmm. you know and maybe if that's radical then we should talk about that because 
I, I think that's, I think that it's important to talk about what life is really like here. Wonderful and complicated and messy and, and joyful. And, and it feels like home you feel like you belong and you also feel like a stranger. And it's, it's, um, it's a, it's just like the rest of life. It's, it's a combination. I think that it's, you know, it's good Hasbara. <laughs> I think that it is. I think so. And you mentioned there were two goals. There a second one on the way out as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that, I mean, which is really the, the mission statement of the layers project in general, all the work that I do is that I, my goal is to help people feel less alone. There's going to be somebody, somebody in this book, I don't know, one chapter that's going to hit you so hard because it's been, you're going to relate to it on a thousand levels. And you're going to be like, some people, some people, when they read this kind of content, they say, I didn't even know that other people experienced this too. I thought that I was the only one. I felt like such a, a freak, such an outsider, so, so othered. And now I feel like I belong to something that, that, that I understand the human condition, that I'm a part of something larger and that I can be okay and I can heal and I can understand my life in such a different way. That's the whole, that's the whole goal of the Layers Project. That's very important. Now, you're speaking about the human condition in general. So I wanted to ask, why is it that you limited it to women's stories as opposed to all people's stories? Sure. Um, well, the Layers Project was born to talk about women's issues mm -hmm. in a time, this was about four, four and a half years ago, in a time where women were being significantly marginalized in Jewish media, their stories, their faces, real life. Also, it was, it, was it was born in a time where social media was all about facade. It was all about like your Insta-perfect highlight reel of life. Well, that may still be true now. So I think that it's a lot better now because I think that people, somebody the other day called me the OG of like telling real stories online, which made me feel a thousand years old. But the, but it holds true that I think that today people are, if I'm the original, it's because more people are doing it now. Mm -hmm. um, which I which is that was the whole point. So that's what a, what an incredible outcome. Um, I mean, that's the advocacy. That's the work. It's for people to be more realistic, so that we don't all feel small, you know, next to our friends and neighbors and family. I think that men need this. I see that there are spaces for women to talk about this, but men in general might just be denying their feelings or they feel that they don't have feelings or who knows what. Obviously, that's not true. And I wonder if it's necessary to have some Layers Project equivalent for men. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, at least once a day, somebody asked me this. <laughs> and I think that the reason why it's being asked is because there's absolutely a need. Um, I think, unfortunately, there's kind of this like hyper masculinity um, that's prized where we come from, where, you know, men are supposed to be intellectual, men are supposed to be strong, men are supposed to be the breadwinners, men are supposed to be stable and take care of their families, the hula, the hula, right? Mm -hmm. um, but in that description, there's no space for feelings. And men feel just as much as women, you know, contrary to popular belief. And we need to um, normalize feeling, uh, mental health for sure, but feeling, you know, men have issues just like women have issues. And so if we could create kind of like a space where men could talk about, it, explore those feelings and normalize it for other people, other men, um, I think it could be very transformative for the community. I think you're right, because I see that people often look at a book like Layers and say, oh, that's literature for women. And obviously you write about women. But they treat it as if the topic is inherently a female topic. To talk yeah. about how you feel inside is not something which a guy is going to do. And that actually can lead to probably a lot of repressed emotions and some other things that are not so nice. 
uh, if it isn't given an outlet. So I guess, Shira, you have your directive, at least from me, to say that maybe it's time to work on the male layers project. You're so funny. Somebody showed me a picture the other day of my book in a Judaica store somewhere in the five towns. And there was a big fat label on the books that said women's interest. <laughs> now, I will tell you from my experience and from all my analytics and everything that I know, right? Facebook is our biggest place where people read the Layers Project. 20%, 20% of the people who are reading it and engaging with our stuff, not the people who like it. The people who are actively reading it are men. They probably deny it, though. Um, they're concerned about like liking it in public. What does it mean for them that they like it? They hit like, and then it shows people that they like the stuff. But I can see that they're reading it. Why are they reading it? They're reading it because this is just human experience. First off, they want to learn more about women. Gesundheit. height. You should learn more about women. Learn about what our issues are, what our, what our struggles are, how amazing we are, how resilient we are. We need to bring more women's issues to the table as a community because we need them to be addressed because they're not. I mean, I will tell you, they're not being addressed the way that they need to be with the same kavod that they need to be. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not even by a long shot. And these men are reading it because there's no other outlet for them of catharsis, of feeling. And that's a serious issue. It's a serious issue. When you put a big sign on my book and say women's interest, I will tell you, it's not women's interest. It's not. It's everybody's interest. Just because there are women in it, I published this book because these stories are important and everybody needs to hear them. And you look at the cover. Yeah, there are women's faces on the cover. Does that make it girly? It's black. It's meant to be unisex in the sense that anybody should be comfortable picking up this book because what you're going to get from inside of it is real life lessons about living as a human. It's got nothing to do with femininity, even though there's tremendous femininity, but femininity shouldn't be threatening. Don't be threatened to learn from women. Don't. That we have a lot to offer. We have a lot to offer when we, and we should be coming to the table to talk about it. Um, but yes, you're right in the sense that men absolutely need an outlet to discuss their feelings, to normalize that feeling is normal and feeling is good and feeling can be complicated and messy. And that doesn't mean that you're not a man. Raph Soloveitchik mentions the different media through which a person can reach out to God, one of which is the emotional component. And that's very Hmm. often ignored. Well, there you go. Thank you, Raph Soloveitchik. I don't want to get into anybody's private religious commitments, but is it fair to say that all the women who are profiled in layers are more or less identified or identify themselves with the Orthodox community? Or is that not really true? Mm, maybe 70% are, but not everybody. It's not really, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an endeavor that's being run by two Orthodox clinicians, therapists. But it's for all Jewish women. And the goal is for it to be non-denominational in the sense that you might be seeing Orthodox women or not, but it's not their religious experience that we focus on. It's only emotional experience. Very often God comes to play as he would in any struggle. Well, there are tremendous stories of faith in this as well. That comes out very, very clearly. Correct. Correct. But there's also a lot of people reckoning with real stuff, real issues of faith. There was another publisher before I, I chose to go with Toby Press and Curran that I was talking to about this book. And they said, well, can you make it that everybody had perfect faith in Hashem and everything worked out in the end? And I said, well, do you know anybody like that? <laughs> and they said, well, no. And then I was like, well, then no. <laughs> and that's kind of the point, you know? So I don't know. Not everyone is Orthodox, but it's, it's a non-denominational effort in the sense that we don't 
really harp on hashkafic issues. We har- we focus on emotional issues. Hashkafic issues do come out, but in the discussion of someone's internal emotional back and forth, there are stories yeah. about people who converted, stories about people who became totally. more religious and had different experiences. So obviously, it and comes less out. religious and less yeah. religious, right? It's all part yeah. of the same the same process. What has Shira the response been so far to the book in the few weeks since it's been out? Really good. <laughs> excited about it because you know i i think that people who are fans of the layers project every time we do a profile it's like a it's like a treat you know because it's a it's a real it's a it's a real cathartic emotional experience especially when you're going through a lot of stuff learning about how other people experience life is just really powerful and these stories are really fascinating they're just so interesting these women are so it's not a commentary on me it's a commentary on them they're just fascinating i think that people are you know, when I said, you know, you put one post up, one profile up, that's cool, but I'm here. Here's 34. Go. Is it difficult to get people to tell their stories? Is it a struggle to get them to open up? Or is this something which they've been waiting for? This is something they've been waiting for. Oh, gosh, they've been waiting for it. There's not, it's not a struggle. Listen, it's not for everybody. It is not for everybody. But for the person who's who's ready and willing to be an advocate for their cause, for whatever they want to talk about, this is, this is an, uh, it's an amazing opportunity to stand up, to work with a, a team of clinicians who, who you can establish a, a rapport and trust and really have this amazing collaborative process to get your message out there and to help people. And and it's incredible how many people have been helped by the women on the Layers Project who stand up and share their experiences. There are thousands of women out there who are reading and following along and sending all of us messages and telling us how it's really it's changing their lives. It's, it's an amazing process. You've mentioned a team of clinicians, and I assume at least in part you're referring to Rachel Herkman. <laughs> That's who I'm, That's my team. Can you talk a little bit about her role in the Layers Project in general and in the book Layers. Yeah, oh, I love talking about Rachel. So Rachel joined the Layers Project. It's actually a really crazy story. And I wish Rachel would tell it because it's an amazing story. But basically, Rachel was off Facebook for about five years. And in January 2017, she came back onto Facebook. And you know what started in January of 2017? The Layers Project. <laughs> she came. She came. With such hashkacha. She came in literally at the minute that I launched it, and it. And you know, she was. I don't know. She was commenting on the the post, but you already knew her. Or not? I didn't know her, but the the way that she was speaking about the war, she just got it. She just got it. And so when we launched the magazine in November of 2018, I believe, she was the first person I turned to. And I said, listen, Rachel, I, this is a clinical effort. I was already dealing with, with issues that were really huge. People were reaching out to me to talk about suicidality and, and all sorts of mental health issues. And as a clinician myself, um, that's cool. But every good clinician knows that you need a supervisor. <laughs> and so Rachel came on as a clinical director where I was the editor, you know, I was doing publishing and editing and she's the clinical director and so basically we are a dynamic duo the two of us every piece that you see from the layers project whether it was the book or on the magazine is clinically edited by Rachel she goes through and we talk about all the clinical issues how is this going to reflect back on the woman is this safe for her is it safe for the reader um and it's a really amazing experience she's my life Chabrusa. yeah you mentioned that in the book as well <laughs> so that opens up another question yeah. I want to know when you talk about suicide or how is this going to reflect her is this going to be something which she wants to see are there stories that you refuse to publish are there some people who come forward and say I want to tell my story and you say I can't tell your story yet Definitely. Definitely. Also, because number one, I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person. 
I'm a person. So I have to be, uh, the only way to do this work is to be cognizant of what things are going to bring up for me. When I tell these stories, I'm consumed by them. And so I have to be really cognizant. I'm like an empath type mm-hmm. of person and I soak everything up. So I have to protect myself, number one, in the work. Number two, there are certain people that are not ready to tell their stories. What do you mean? In what sense? As in they want to tell the story, but you say, no, you're not ready for this yet? Yeah. Meaning that sometimes things are really, really fresh and it hasn't been processed. The only point of sharing is if you're going to sh- make meaning of it. You know, certain certain spaces on the internet, you'll read stories that seek just to rip you open and just leave you gaping. And that's extremely painful for the reader. On the Layers Project, it's different. We seek to rip you open because that's life, but then we also want to sew you up. We want to make you feel whole because that's what's going to be healthy. You can't be, you can't be shopping for chicken in the supermarket and read, you know, just be standing online and reading an essay and then just be bereft and have like nothing nothing to ground you that that doesn't work it doesn't it's not fair to the readers we're as clinicians we're really sensitive to that if we weren't and we were more clickbaity then sure we'd have millions of followers because we would just post whatever we wanted but we're we care about the emotional health of our community and that's why we're doing this so given those guidelines and because we're really careful sometimes people will come to us and they'll say i want to share a story about grief and I'll be like, okay, tell me, you know, tell me a little bit. Well, last week, my husband died. Well, last week is really fresh for you. Is this going to be healthy for you to put your whole, all your pain out onto the internet? Is that going to be healthy for you? Because I can't control the feedback from the internet. I can try and control it by being really super careful with how we write things, but I can't control the feedback. And that's a really serious liability in terms of just, you know, be, caring for the well-being of others. Right. You know? Sometimes you're not ready to tell. And then you and then there are times where I th- I wonder if the community is ready to hear things. There are plenty of topics that I know that need to be shared and I will work on in time. I can acknowledge that I'm not a thought leader on every topic. And there are certain things that are super complicated that I'm not sure belong on the internet, or I'm not sure if it's the right place or the right context or the right time. And so they're always living in my head and always burdening me because they're really big things that I know that I'm going to need to tackle, but I just want to do it right in a healthy and safe way for everybody in a way that also people are going to be able to hear. That's really interesting when you say there are things that the community may not be ready to hear. This is something which I struggle with a lot on my own in my own work. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I do my best to always to be as honest as I can. Yeah. And you don't want to hurt anybody. You don't like the laws of Lashon Hara mean you don't always say everything you're thinking. That does, yes. That's clearly not something which you have to do. Midvar Shekhar Terchak is very different from say everything you want with no filter. But at the same time, there are times when we hold back at our own peril or perhaps at our community's own peril because there are different types of problems. Some things the community needs to hear but doesn't want to hear. There are other situations where the community perhaps are not ready to deal with the topic yet. Can you just give an example? I don't know if you feel comfortable doing so, but can you give an example of the type of topic? I don't mean anyone in particular where you feel maybe I shouldn't go there only because this is a very important topic, but the Orthodox world just isn't ready for this yet. Okay, I'll, I'll give you another, I'll give you an example. Um, let's talk about like sexual abuse. There are certain stories that are best told in safe environments. Like there are different ways to do kinds of advocacy. I think that sexual abuse is a incredibly important and vital conversation that we need to be having more and more and more and more. My method of storytelling is pretty out there. You've got a picture, you've got a name, you've got this, you've got that. And it's not always safe. 
it's just not always safe. It depends on the circumstance. It depends on the situation, you know, like every, it's going to depend on every kind of situation. Um, some of the stories of sexual abuse are so like the way that I tell stories, which is very graphic are so painful, really. I mean, unconscionable, like I've tried, you know, and I will do it. It just depends on the format. Um, it's scary to put that kind of stuff in the internet because I want my people to be safe and okay, you know? And so I'm not a thought leader on sexual abuse. I think in practice, whether you see yourself as a thought leader or not, the work that you're doing has in some level made you a type of thought leader because that which you're putting out there is driving the conversation. So even if you don't see yourself as someone who's developing the thought, by asking the questions and presenting stories and allowing things into the public sphere, which perhaps before had been either covered up or swept under the carpet, you're driving conversations that need to be had, conversations that we need to have. So first of all, that's a very good thing in my mind, and that's something for which you should certainly be commended. And given that reality, I do want to ask you what things you think the Orthodox community does need to confront that it is not confronting enough right now. I mean, the Orthodox community as you see it, which right now is, I suppose, the Anglo-Orthodox community in Israel, to put it in a general broad sense. Um, just to respond to your point, I thank you for that. Um, it makes me feel that I need to be really responsible. So I need to feel ready to know how to have a conversation. And when I say thought leader, what I do is I open dialogue. It doesn't mean that I'm the expert on knowing how to do that. And so if I know how to do it, I'm going to do it. But if I don't know how to do it, I promise you that I'm thinking about it and thinking about it and talking to people and researching. And one day I will, because that's my tough kid in this world. In terms of your question specifically, I think that we need to be talking about sexual abuse. I think we need to be talking about addiction. We need to be talking about sex addiction, alcohol and drug addiction. We need to be talking about mental health. We need to be talking about LGBTQ issues of mental health and how people exist in our community that so many people are not willing to see. Um, that's a big one that I've been thinking about a lot and doing a lot of research about because I feel currently like this is something that needs to be discussed and it's slowly opening up, but people are very, very close to it. So what you're um, saying is that all is not perfect, not 100% perfect in the Orthodox world, if I can <laughs> translate what you just said. I think the Orthodox world is a wonderful place. It's the, it's a place of choice for me. I chose to be here. I grew up conservative, fun fact, and I chose to be Orthodox and it's been a wonderful, warm, embracing place, but it's a community just like any other in any closed community, which is not a negative statement. It just means that we're, you know, uh, intact in, in, in our, in our wholeness. Like we're one community. Um, we're actually human. We're humans. We're humans. And I find that very often in the firm world, people pretend that they're not. We're seeking for perfectionism and then discounting the rest. But that's not what real life is. And people get hurt when you do that. Well, I think seeking perfection might be okay as long as you allow yourself to fail in the quest. There's no such thing there. as perfection when you're a human. So I disagree. I think that I think that perfection is the enemy of the good. Also true. And as someone who strives for perfectionism, I can assure you, it's very damaging. <laughs> I kind of know that feeling. Um, as we're almost out of time, do you plan to write a sequel to Layers? Is there another one coming out? I know this one took a long, long time and it just was released, but I think the Actually, readers want to know. it only took me a year. It only took me a year to write. It just, the rest of the process um, took a while and because of COVID. Um, I'm sure I will. I have no doubt. 
I have no doubt. Well, Sarah, once again, I commend you on the book. It's fantastic. The book is layers. Above all, the stories in the book are real. People, as you said, moving into faith, moving out of faith, people whose stories are joyful, are difficult, but all of them are uplifting. And as you also mentioned, it really is a love letter to Eretz Israel, to the Holy Land, to the incredibly diverse world in which we've all allowed ourselves to live, about this place where we've made Aliyah. Really, it's very, very inspiring. And if anyone wants to purchase the book Layers, and yes, you should, there is a link to purchase it in the show notes, along with a coupon code so you can get 15% off. So thank you for writing it, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. Remember to go to jewishcoffeehouse.com for lots of great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, Chuchmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, Let My People Eat, and more. You can also find my blog, The Scott Conversation, there. Please also share this podcast so we can get the word out about the Orthodox conundrum to an even bigger audience. And please consider becoming a Jewish Coffeehouse patron by going to our Patreon page. The link is in the description of this podcast. You can get extra episodes, articles, merch, and more while also supporting our work. So please check it out today. I'm Scott Kahn, and this has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com.